your congregation. Our focus for today will be on verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 10. Verse 13 reads, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Last week we looked at verse 12, where Paul warned us to prepare for temptations, to be careful that we do not fall under the trials and temptations. And as we began reading in the end of chapter 9, we saw how Paul used the examples of athletes, where he gave the example of a runner, a runner that that gives their all, their 100% focus and dedication and determination to preparing for the race and even in the race with, the, with their eye on the, that goal of the prize at the end. He gave a second example of a wrestler or, or a boxer, a boxer who, who needs to exercise a lot of self-control. They, they have a very strict exercise and training routine. They'll rise up in the morning, they, they watch what they eat, and, and they don't go to parties, they don't slack off on the routine because they want to win the prize. And they might have coaches as well that, that guide them in their training, coaches that are very strict. They might have routines that are very rigorous. They might have workouts that are very grueling, very difficult. And Paul says, well, that's what he does in his own Christian discipline. He is focused. He doesn't just run around the field aimlessly, but he has a goal, a clear focus. He doesn't just throw punches into the air with with nothing to aim at, but with precision he aims for the target. Now both participating in a race and and, and practicing for a race can be difficult. And that's why we also need encouragement along the way. We need to be constantly encouraged as we run the Christian race. When that runner has finished a training and they're, they're finally running down the track on, in that race, or when the wrestler is in the ring, the, the coach might still be there, but now instead of barking out commands to, to make them work harder, to do one more push-up, now they're encouraging them, telling them to, to use all their training, to use all their effort to, to run towards the prize. And he stands there, and now he, he's there to encourage them and to guide them. And you can imagine all the fans around them also cheering on their favorite runner, or, or their family members maybe calling their name and, and encouraging them on in this race. And, and in a little way, that's how this is like in this chapter, where Paul encourages you in your wrestling match against temptations, or in your marathon of your trials. Here, Paul gives us a triple encouragement, a threefold encouragement as you face trials and temptations in your life. And so our theme is endure temptation or the encouragement to endure temptation. And in the first place, we'll see the first encouragement is that your temptations are common. In verse 13, it begins and it says, No temptation has overtaken you 
except such as is common to man. Well, Paul is saying, he's, he's encouraging you and saying, you can endure temptations because all these temptations and trials that you face are common to man, to mankind. There's nothing out of the ordinary that God is subjecting you to. There's nothing here that is outside human, the normal scope of human life. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody experiences the same temptations or the same degrees of temptations. And God might have various purposes in our individual lives for why we face temptations or trials. But every trial is common to man, common to our weak and to our frail hum- humanity and our experience in the sin-cursed world. And there's common ways throughout history how we are tempted. It's common for young people who have that youthful zeal, that, that youthful energy to be tempted with money, to be tempted with uh, physical pleasures, even immoral, immoral pleasures, and for popularity in this world. As people grow older, they might be tempted with a life of ease, with a life of wealth. People who are educated might be tempted to become proud or to rely on their wisdom. And we see that all of our sins that rise up in our hearts, this also is nothing new. It's common to man ever since the fallen paradise. Cain killed Abel, the first two children in this world, because of the sins that rose up in his heart. And those sins still dwell within our hearts. The trials of sickness, of poverty, of plagues and storms, all these things have been in this world since the fallen paradise. And so temptations and trials are common to our sinful, fallen human nature. But we also need to be realistic because trials and temptations are not a small matter. They're not a small and a light thing. Paul uses the word here that says, no temptation has overtaken you. And that word overtaken really means to to seize, to take effect. You can think of a bearing that spins freely, but if if it's rusty, it seizes up. It can no longer turn freely. Or you can think of a trial that takes possession of the person. You, You cannot escape it. That same word is used in Luke 5 where when the Lord Jesus healed that paralytic man that was let down through the roof, and he told that man, he said, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Rise up, take up your bed, and walk. And when he stood up, it says that people literally were seized with amazement. Amazement overtook them. They, they couldn't help but be amazed at what they saw. That's, that's kind of the understanding of that word. And we have to take trials and temptations seriously because we have no power over them. In that sense, they overtake us. If you think of Job, in Job 1, and the book of Job was written at the same time frame as Genesis, and it says that Satan went to ask God if he could tempt Job. Satan thought that he could make Job curse God and sin against God. Satan saw that Job was a righteous man, that he loved God, and Satan hates God and all those who love him. 
And so when the trials came, these trials overtook Job. They seized him. In one day, he lost everything. Enemies came. They killed his servants and took his livestock. A storm of fire came and killed the sheep and the servants. Another windstorm came and blew down the house and killed all his children. But then he also became sick with a painful sickness. But then his wife came as well and started telling him just to curse God. All these things were against Job. They took effect on him. They seized him. And when they come upon us, there's nothing that we can do to prevent them from coming on us like that. They are real. But Paul encourages us by saying that these trials are common to us as frail human beings. You're not being subjected to anything outside of the ordinary. But it's also encouraging to know that they are common because then it's also possible to know about them, to know what they are. It's important to know what we're up against in this world and why these things are happening. We can be aware of what can happen and how it is that we must endure and work through it. These trials come because we live in a sin-cursed world, not, not because one person is better or worse than another. We're not subjected to trials because we are greater sinners than another. Because the Lord Jesus Himself was subjected to trials in this world. He was tempted in all points like as we are. And so Scripture teaches us some of the things that we can face and why and how we are to endure it. And that is also why Paul in verse 12 warns us to take heed that we do not fall. Because it's common to man. It also means there's a common remedy. A remedy that we need to focus on. A remedy that is found in the man Christ Jesus. For every racer, for every runner, you have to rely on your own strength. The strength of your legs The strength and the capacity of your lungs and of your heart is what propels you across the finish line in that race. And the outcome of the race depends on your determination, on your exercise mainly, and your ability. But for the believer, your strength is found in Christ. God even says in the Psalms, I have no delight in the legs of a man and in the strength of the legs of a person. In the race, the fans can cheer on the runner and encourage them to give their all. But here, Paul encourages you because Christ is your strength, and Christ has already finished that race. And so your capacity and your source of strength to endure does not come from our own exercise, from our own strength, but from God. He trains you and He supplies everything you need by His grace and His Holy Spirit. And so the first encouragement that Paul gives is that every trial and temptation that we are subjected to is common to man, but that He also has already given the means to overcome. And the second encouragement is that God controls all your temptations. Your temptations are controlled. Verse 13 continues and says, But God is faithful, 
who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. It's because God is faithful. He is the unchanging God. He is the steadfast and trustworthy God. His word never changes. His promises never fail. And your temptations and trials are controlled because of His faithfulness. And we've been reminded recently of how faithful God is and how faithful He remains, even though we are unfaithful, and how unfaithful Israel was. God delivered them. God led them. God provided for them every step of the way. And Israel was subjected to so many trials and temptations, and and it seemed like they failed them all. And yet God remained faithful. God proved that He was the unchanging God, even though we change and fail. And that same God is our God today. He is the same unchanging God for you today. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He's the sustainer and the provider, not only for this world, but for you. He holds our life in His hands, and He holds our temptations in His hands. And your temptations are controlled because God has set the limits. He will not allow, Paul says, you to be tempted beyond what you are able. God will not permit it. He will not make it possible. When Satan came and asked the Lord if he could tempt Job, God set the limits to which Satan could go. In Job 1 verse 12, God said, All that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So the temptations were initially limited to Job's possessions, and Satan could not touch Job himself. Later, Satan asked to go further to be able to touch Job, and God permitted him in verse 6 of chapter 2, and he said, He is in your hand, but spare his life. He could touch Job's health, but he could not take Job's life. And so Paul is encouraging us here today, showing that everything that happens to us is within God's limits, the limits that He has set for your life. And your temptations are controlled because of God's design for your temptations. Remember that Satan's purpose in tempting is always to try to make you fall and to try to make you sin. But God's purpose always is to refine you, to test you, to try your faith, to strengthen you. And every trial and temptation is limited because they serve God's purpose, not Satan's. And of Job, we read in 1 verse 22 that in all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. He maintained his, his purity. And last week, even we heard in, in Lord's Day 1 from the Catechism how it says that all things must be subservient to your salvation, that all things work together for good, that all things are working towards your salvation for the children of God. And so Job did not fall under the trials and temptations because God had set the limits. 
And your temptations are controlled, whether it be temptation to sin, whether it be temptation or trials of difficulties. And God's faithfulness enables you to endure. And so knowing who God is, knowing why He allows these into your life, gives you that encouragement. There's always a purpose. There's, they are common to humanity. There's a limit, and there's always a goal. And God knows what you are able to endure. So the runner is pushed to their max to improve their strength, their speed, and their stamina. And, and when you exercise, and when you're training for a race, or when you're weightlifting, you, you'll push yourself to your physical limits. And when you're when you're weightlifting, you, you might push till you can't go anymore, and then you'll try one more. You'll push, you'll push so hard to try get one more rep to strengthen yourself. And even though God sets limits on trials and temptations, He may be pushing you to your limit. And then He'll make you do one more push, one more lap, to stretch your spiritual endurance. And you'll say, well, what is that? What is that spiritual endurance? Well, it's, it's not sprinting the extra meter of kindness in our own strength. It's not so that we can say, well, I am a strong Christian because I accomplished this. But it is the endurance of faith. It is a grasp on Christ by faith. We are not naturally kind. We are not naturally meek. Because we feel those sins of anger, those, that impatience rising up. And when we've reached our limit, our limit of our natural kindness and gentleness and meekness or forgiveness, then where will that strength come from to do what is right? Where will that endurance come from now that the pressure of the trial is on us? It must come from Christ alone and His Holy Spirit. That is when we learn and when we confess that we are weak, that we are not able, that we're not able to keep the law of God, to love in perfection, because, or especially under trials. It's under trials where we learn to see our weakness. And that is when we learn to recognize our need for the remedy of Christ Jesus. Him who is perfect love, perfect meekness, perfect humility and patience. That is when we need, recognize our need for His Holy Spirit, for the fruit of the Spirit who gives grace. And so this is a test of our endurance to empty ourselves of our own strength, to find the limits of our own self-reliance so that we find our strength in Christ alone. That when we run out of patience with our children, that we need to recognize that Satan wants us to fall into sin of anger or frustration. But God is saying, look to Christ, who supplies all your needs. That when the pain is greater than we can bear, and Satan wants you to despair and to curse God like he wanted Job to, but God is saying, look to Christ. 
who supplies all your needs. These trials and temptations so quickly show us where our limit is before we give in to sin or we crumble under the load and the pressures. But God is showing that our limits are being stretched further because God is the one who supplies your need. And He's teaching us to trust in Him at all times. And so our temptations are controlled by God. But then lastly, we are encouraged to endure these temptations because your temptations are cut. And I'll explain what, that, what I mean. But with the temptations, Paul says in the last part of verse 13, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it that you may be able to bear it. God not only controls and limits our temptations, but God is always there as well. And yes, it's true, as, he, as we heard about Hezekiah a, a few Sundays back, how the Lord said He withdrew Himself from Hezekiah to test him under the, when the Babylonians came with the presence. And He was tested and He fell into the sin of pride the Lord withdrew Himself, He said, but still the Lord does not completely withdraw Himself from His people. The Holy Spirit remains because they are reunited with Christ. They will, God will never abandon and forsake His people. And so here it says, God makes the way of escape. God makes the way. This implies that God causes the way to open. He even creates a way to where there was no way before. He makes the way to escape from temptation. For every specific trial and temptation, God makes the way. And the best example to think of is the Israelites at the Red Sea. After the Lord delivered them from Egypt, they began going through the wilderness, and He led them, to, and they stopped in front of the Red Sea. They camped in front of the Red Sea. So in front of them was a sea, and on both sides, left and right, there was mountains. And when Egypt learned where they were, they said, they're lost. We need to go get them back. And so Egypt came up behind them. So now they were blocked in on four sides, sea in front, mountains on both sides, and the enemy behind. And so they had no way of escape by themselves. But God opened up the way. And children, you know how God opened up the way, don't you? He opened up the Red Sea. He created a way of escape through the Red Sea, dividing the water so that Israel could walk across on dry land. And so for every temptation, there's the way of escape that God provides. And here you could say that God cuts the temptation. God cuts a way through the Red Sea. Or if you're in a trap, you can think of the trap being cut open. But... The way of escape does not necessarily mean that the trial will be entirely removed. It is cut, but not removed. God opened the way of the Red Sea for the people, but they still had to pass through. And if you think, if you're an Israelite walking through that sea, and you saw the walls of water up beside you on both sides. I think that would have been scary. 
knowing that in a moment those walls could fall down. You had to go through trusting in God. On the one hand, it is fearful. And trials and temptations can seem fearful like that as well. It crushed the Egyptians when it fell on them. And you realize that when you are in these trials, you know that they can crush you in a moment. But at the same time, there is such reason for praise and for joy. Because on the other hand, the Israelites walking through there would walk with an amazement in what God is doing for them. They could see the water stacked up. They could see the dry passage through, and they said, God is doing this for us. God is opening the way for us. And so it is with trials and temptations that on the one hand you realize the immense power of these trials or temptations and you know that without the help of God you can be crushed and yet you are going through them with the help of God. And you say, look where I am, only by the grace of God. He is leading me through. And so in that sense you could say it is cut and yet not removed. The way is opened, and still you have to go through that way. Paul also speaks of when he had a thorn in the flesh, when he said he prayed to God that three times that it might be removed, but God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And so that way of escape doesn't mean a complete or immediate deliverance. Because sickness and pain can last and endure for the rest of our lives. We can be tempted with certain sins over and over again and struggle with the weakness of, the, of our corrupt nature our whole life long. And so what does it mean? Well, Paul says here, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And to bear here means to endure. And that's where the theme comes from, to endure temptations, to be able to withstand the trials and the temptations with a courage, with a hope, with a faith in God. The way of escape that God makes is to provide a path through, to enable us to bear the trial and not to fall, as verse 12 says. God provides that way through so that by His grace you can endure it to the end. There's always that beginning, but there's also the end. Every runner must run the complete race to reach the finish line or else they will be disqualified. And the runner or the wrestler has to rely on, on, on their own training, their own stamina, their own strength to reach that goal. But here Paul encourages you, showing that God makes the way for you to endure it to the finish. There's a way to finish without being crushed. That endurance prevents you from falling. It enables you to stand firm in faith, just as Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, I have fought the good faith, the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And he says, further, finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to them who have loved his appearing. 
And then in chapter 9, Paul showed how the racers were pursuing this corruptible crown, this, this temporary prize. But here he says, but he pursued the incorruptible. There's laid up for him a crown of righteousness. You look at the outcome. You're looking for the end. And that's also how the, the, that word, the way of escape, is sometimes translated. It's consider the outcome. Consider where this is leading you. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And it is through him also that we endure because he is the one who endured trials and temptations beyond what we can face. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. We can only face trials and temptations to a limited degree because of our frailty. But Christ had the Spirit without measure, and he faced these temptations without measure, yet without sin. And God gives to you his Holy Spirit, that same Spirit with which Christ had to resist temptation. And so here in Hebrews 12, verse 1, he also encourages us where it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, as he sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. Consider Christ, he says, because we have not yet resisted to that point but consider him the author and finisher of our faith. And so it's not when we think we are strong enough to withstand trials or temptations that we will be able to face it. That's what Paul warned us about in verse 12. But when we recognize that we cannot stand, when we recognize that we cannot endure, when we recognize that we can't face it in our own strength, then God's Word becomes precious. Then God Himself and His Spirit become precious in the moment. And then, as He says, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will, and I will deliver you and you will glorify me. That is when we need His Word and Him the most. And so it's an encouragement when God here tells us that we do not face anything beyond what is common to mankind. And it's an encouragement to know that we do not face anything beyond what God knows we are able. He sets the limits for us individually. And what an encouragement that it is to know that when God leads you through these deep waters, He will give grace to endure. Every trial has an end. Some might last right to the end of our life, but then it'll be complete forever. 
then that way will be opened up into eternal bliss where no trials or temptations can ever reach you again. And then you will see him who endured on your behalf on the cross to take what we could never do. And he is the one who now gives strength for you to endure today by his Holy Spirit. Amen.